And one. There we go. Good morning, everybody. It's your host, Felipe, along with Sean Flannery. We are the Total Basis Podcast, back for season number two. Season two. Sean, how does it feel to uh, complete one season and start another one? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, Excited. Uh, Got a lot of stuff planned again for this year. Some old stuff, some new stuff, and we'll see if we get a full 162. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, it's kind of... uh, it's, it's, it's kind of touch and go right now. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what the rules are going to be. We don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands. We don't know if – I don't even know how many minor league teams every team gets now. I'm, I'm, it's it's – uh, you know what? You know what it is, Sean? New decade, new baseball. New Major League Baseball, I should say. So, uh, like, it, But as always, we just got to be on our toes and expect the unexpected and, uh, and um, yeah, adjust and – roll with the punches of course Sean, how was your new year and all that happy new year uh, by the way. it was yeah to yourself as well it was uh good you know i was working back the day after christmas which wasn't fun but you know got a couple yeah. of days off which is always nice and then uh santa steve decided to give us a late christmas present you know our mets you know getting francisco lindor which we will talk about i know you guys are excited but that was a, a slightly delayed christmas gift um Mets fans are extremely happy and I'm excited, but my excitement is tempered because I'm a pessimist and that's how I think. <laughs> no, you're just a hater, Sean. You just hate, <laughs> just hate everything. You know, you're never happy, blah, 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 you know, critical thinking out the window, but no, <laughs> we will talk about some of the transactions that happened this past week. I, I, I have it uh, lined up here. So what Monday was the, I, I forget these days are just jumbled together, but it looks like the fourth was Monday. So I'm, I, I'll just start on that day on Monday. So anything that happened beforehand, uh, I, I believe Dong city uh, covered all the transactions that happened over the break. So I, I don't feel like being repetitive today. So we're going to go ahead and start uh, with uh, June, uh, January 4th. And the big first name that kind of pops up for me is Andrew Suarez of the San Francisco Giants was released by the team on Monday, which was kind of a shocker. But at the same time, maybe I shouldn't be shocked at all. But I don't know. What do you think about Andrew Suarez being released? Then uh, where do you see him, if anything, uh, showing up for next season? I mean, he just hasn't been very good. I mean, he's in 2018 had an ERA in the mid fours and in 2020 and he came out of the bullpen for not even 10 innings and had a 3-7. But in 2019, 21 games, 32 innings. I, I don't see him. I, I, I'm, I don't think there's any reason we should be talking about Andrew Suarez. I know there's not a lot that went on aside from the <laughs> Francisco Lindor. But, um, yeah, Francisco – or oh, not Francisco. Andrew Suarez doesn't really tickle any sort of fancy I have. I just remember that when – like around 2018, 2019, thereabouts, I remember like seeing him on the waiver wire and, and looking at a, some of the peripherals and some of the more underlying statistics. And, you know, he does pitch, he does pitch for the Giants. So you, you can't help but think, oh, wow, man, if he, if only if he uh, can get it together, I mean, he could become, you know, the next great pitcher or decent pitcher for fantasy. And I just remember looking at his underlying stats and show, you know, this guy isn't that bad. So that's why I'm kind of just wondering, like, why he got cut or whatever because uh, he, he signed a deal with um in the kbo 
Wait, I'm sorry, yeah. he signed for the KBO? Okay. Yeah, he signed for the KBO. The Giants sold his contract, so that's oh, that's why okay. it was an outright release and looks weird. Okay. Well, at any rate, well, good luck to him. I think uh, I don't even know if his uh, if his pitching style would fit in well over there. Cause I, I there's this preconceived notion about Asian uh, baseball leagues that are the, that the ballparks are a little smaller, but the hitting technique is also way different than it is here in the states. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I don't know. I just remember like being kind of interested for a couple of years uh, for an Andrew Suarez. But yeah, his I don't know what I was looking at, but I just you know, it was a gut feeling that, hey, maybe I should take a chance on this guy every once in a while. But, oh, well. Good luck to him in Korea. Uh, and then nothing too big. You saw Ronald Torres and Daniel Gossett uh, get picked up for minor league contracts, which is whatever at this point. It's, it's nothing to talk about there. Uh, what else we got here? Ah, we have a trade. Uh, I don't know. It says Carl Chester acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, the player to be named later. What, in the... Uh, Blake Snell trade, is that what it is? Uh, it's to Texas, so I'm not sure if that would possibly be the Pete Fairbanks because that goes all the way back to 2019, and right. I think they had already announced that. I'm not sure what trade they made with Texas this year, but I did see Carl Chester play several times in Montgomery. He's one of those guys that was in the Montgomery farm system when I worked there and kind of a speedy outfielder. I don't think he really has much MLB promise, but you never know. Bad teams and fast players, usually they – chipping some stolen bases if they get some runs so yeah that's true about that yeah so uh, yeah I, I don't know why i said blake snell but probably because that was the most recent trade but yeah, yeah. he didn't go to uh, uh texas he, snell didn't go to texas so okay no. bad, <laughs> well blake trinan uh back for two years uh with the la dodgers uh i don't know man it's like it, blake Trinan is so hit or miss with me i know that he's had a kind of a renaissance the last season or so uh, do you like him being extended for two years, uh, Blake Trennan here? Yeah, to me, it makes the most sense. He Is he having any sort of surgery? I couldn't remember if he's still completely healthy. But, you know, he had a solid 2020 with the Dodgers. Uh, he had signed with them for only one year to try and rebuild his value, coming off a down year after that superb 2018 in which he was, you know, one of the best relief pitchers in baseball and then followed it up with an ERA close to five. His thing has always been his command. The command was back to being somewhat good in 2020, uh, but the strikeouts still weren't really there. He's still one of those guys that he throws really hard, but he doesn't really miss a lot of bats. It's a lot of ground balls, keeping the ball in the park, and stuff like that. So, there's a lot of options at the back end of that Dodger bullpen. Kenley Jansen's still there. You have guys like Bruce Dark Gratterall, who they're heavily invested in um, after trading Kenta Maeda for him. Uh, Blake Trinan, I don't think, could get the chance to vulture for some saves, but I think if anyone not named Kenley Jansen gets saves, it's probably going to be Bruce Dark Gratterall. By the way, uh, he did. I'm looking at the headline here, and it looks like he did have surgery. Uh, Tommy John surgery, to be exact. Uh, Trying to – okay, that's what I had thought. So it's really – it's a one-year deal. He'll be rehabbing all of this year, and then he'll come back in 2022. Yeah, I feel like a lot of teams are doing that. Like, again, it's a gut feeling. It's a, you know, like preconceived notions here. But I feel like a lot of teams are doing that. Like, they're balking at the one season uh, and then just uh, really paying for that other – the next season. Uh, as uh, even ESPN says that he could be a crucial member of their bullpen in 2022. 
Wait, uh, the it's not tr uh, Trinan that was injured. No, I thought it was Canely, Tommy Canely. No, Tommy Canely was the other guy. Yeah. Okay, because I think Blake Trinan's healthy. I think it was Tommy Canely that signed the two year deal that was uh, kind of in essence a one year deal. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was reading the. Uh, I'm just reading the headlines, really uh, perusing them, and it says he underwent Tommy John surgery in August. Maybe they're they're talking about Tommy Canley and not uh, Blake Trinan. Uh, so yeah, so never mind. Forget what I said. Everything's fine. Two years <laughs> Blake Trinan and uh, Tommy Canley is also uh, kind of waiting in the wings as well for the. Yeah, that that was that was the one that made sense. There we go. Okay. We're back on track. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's too early in the morning. Next on the agenda, where are we? Where are we here? Robbie Grossman. Yeah, Robbie Grossman. Big former, old, big old signing. Former um, Astros farmhand. Former what? Twins player Twin well. in Oakland Athletic. Switch hitting, good OBP. He's a sneaky good player in OBP leagues, and he's going to be playing for Detroit. I mean, they have literally nothing to lose, so he's going to get playing time. And he swipes a good amount of bases. He'll give you a lot of doubles. Um, he's never going to be an ex extremely high batting average guy. So, but if you're in a deep OBP league, AL only, or you know, 15, 20 team league, Robbie Grossman's a legitimate play. And I, I've always liked his game. I had him in a 30 team for a little bit, and then I kind of cut bait. And then he went and had a solid 2020 season. So the joke was on me. But, uh, <laughs> I like Robbie Grossman, and I think Detroit's a good place for him. Big old ballpark. He plays good defense, and he can hit a lot of doubles. Yeah, he goes from one big ballpark to another one uh, out in yeah. Detroit. So, <laughs> um, as a White Sox fan, that doesn't that signing doesn't scare me whatsoever. But uh, it's fine. It's okay. Uh, so next is uh, James Reeves, who was acquired uh, from uh, where is he going? From the Yankees. I'm kind of trying to remember. Oh, is this the Greg that Allen? Was, that was Greg Allen getting DFA'd, and then they uh, traded him to the Yankees. Oh, okay, okay. And Greg Allen was the speedy little, I think, switch hitting outfielder that they acquired from Cleveland yeah. in the Mike Clevenger deal. Okay, wow. So they got another reliever. Uh, anything to say about James Reeves? Anything uh, noteworthy there, Sean? Uh, I really, I'm not going to lie, I don't know much about Reeves. I think he's played a little bit at the major league level. No, uh, no, you know, he hasn't even debuted yet. So a no. uh, bit of a complete unknown. He's posts pretty solid K numbers. I'm looking now. Yeah. Uh, walks have kind of fluctuated up and down, mm -hmm. um, but we'll see. Yeah, he's a, a lefty reliever that strikes out a lot of guys, which is always interesting to keep tabs on. Oh yeah, man. Major league uh, teams are always looking for that. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that, that they went with that. Uh, so far, uh, nothing too big, right? I mean, it's been a very sleepy uh, offseason so far, uh, especially with teams already crying poor that they can't afford any players because there were no fans last year, even though the TV money went through, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's been pretty uh, dead out here, um, which is uh, kind of disappointing. Well, it was expected, but I'm still disappointed. Shame on you, teams. <laughs> All right, well, finally, we, we're safe. We're safe from baseball obscurity, and we got the big trade with the Mets and the Cleveland uh, baseball team, which we still don't know what their team – oh, no, they're still going to go with Indians this year, and then they're going to change it in 2022? Is that what oh, it was? I, 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 I thought they were supposed to be changing it, like, within last week, but then that got pushed back, so who knows? All right, well, I'm going to hold my breath on it. Usually 
these things take a long time. Hell, even Washington just gave up and said, we're just going to be the Washington football team from here on out. And uh, as they take a European soccer approach to team nicknames out here. So that's pretty. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but since we brought up the Cleveland Indians, I finally, for the very first time, watched Major League all the way through. I had seen like the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes dozens of times, and I had never watched it all the way through. So what do you think? It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> Major League Baseball, uh, Major League Two isn't that bad either. It just it just feels a little bit more um, more zany, like that that eighties style comedy flick. It's not as serious as the first one, but it has some moments. Yeah, uh, I feel the like second. the thing that threw me off with Major League was seeing Corbin Benson, and all I could recognize him was as being Sean Spencer's dad and Psych. Shout out to Daniel. He's probably the biggest psych fan I know. But it's like every time I saw Corbin Benson, the guy who's supposed to play like the hot shot who can't play defense. And I was just like, oh, my God, I remember you, except you're 30 years older and you play on a USA detective show. I mean, Tom Berenger in that, too. I mean, yeah. Tom Berenger from Platoon and from The Substitute, which I just think they're the same people. The guy from Platoon and The Substitute, if Tom Berenger's character would have survived Platoon, he would have become The Substitute. <laughs> But before that, he was doing what? Uh, he was a catcher with the bad knee. <laughs> he outruns the ground ball to win the game for the Cleveland Indians. He was the 70s Mo Berg. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's, it's such a legendary movie. I mean, you got the, what's his name? Robert Downey Jr. playing a relief pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour. Willie Mays Hayes played by, uh, was it Wesley Snipes, I believe? Wesley Snipes. And uh, yeah, such a great movie. Um, so, yeah. It's uh, it's it's you know, it's a phenomenon uh, there, Sean. Uh, these movies that everybody talks about, and I've been guilty of doing that. My wife like goes crazy when I tell her, you know, I've never watched this X movie before, in its entirety, and she gives me this dirty look, like, "What do you mean you never watched it in entirety?" I'm like, "It's I always watch it on TV, and I only watch it in spurts, and then I get bored and I change the channel and I forget all about it." So uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can see how you haven't gone. How you have gone your whole life without watching Major League this yeah. entire time. So, but kudos to you for finally getting through it. It's, I think it's a rite of passage among all baseball. <laughs> anyway, well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm a politician now. Here's the deal. Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor going to the Mets, and Cleveland gets Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, which, uh, in my humble opinion, I believe that will be the new middle of the uh, infield right there for the Cleveland team. And they also get Isaiah Green, who's 19 years old. And Josh Wolf, who at one point was uh, a, a very highly touted prospect for the New York oh, Mets, he he still is. So, well, he's been dropping though. That's my thing. He's been dropping. I think I, I believe well, he, I was listening he, to. He's uh, only had the like. T- he's only had ten professional innings because he was drafted in nineteen out yeah. of high school, and then he pitched a little bit in Kingsport, and then a little bit in Brooklyn at the end of the year, and then of the twenty twenty no minor leagues like, that absolutely kills the players that were drafted in 2019. You have no idea really how to gauge them. And for my the listeners here that are like in dynasty leagues, it's it's really hard to get a finger on these players who were, you know, drafted in the first, second, third round of 2019, especially the high school guys that played maybe no more than 30 or 40 games at the end of 19 and then didn't play anything in 20. It's it's really hard to gauge them. Josh Wolf has a legit fastball and a legit curveball. He's not Matt Allen yet, 
but he could very well be in that same mold that Matt Allen was. He's a little bit more projectable. He hasn't grown into his full frame yet, which kind of makes sense why the Mets would be willing to give up Wolf over Allen. Um, Allen's much more physically developed already. Uh, Isaiah Green is someone that in the fantasy community on Twitter, people have been raving about Isaiah Green even before the trade. But he's one of those dynasty prospect players that always worries me. The toolsy high school outfielder bat. I mean, sometimes they're great. You know, you have like Riley Green in Detroit. He looks like the next legit thing. But then half the time it just feels like it's, oh, he's fast. Hmm. He, he hits the ball kind of hard when he makes contact. And it, it's just really hard to gauge these high school bats that are real toolsy and don't have kind of the mechanics of a major league type hitter yet. And I think Isaiah Green's in that category. He does have a smooth swing, but it's not a whole lot of power. It's got a hitch in it. I'm not very high on Isaiah Green, but that's just because I'm not usually high on high school bats to begin with. Yeah, But uh, Josh Wolf, I think, in the way that Cleveland develops pitching and has over the last five to seven years, I think Josh Wolf's going to be a serious person to uh, keep tabs on. Yeah, I, I know I remember Josh Wolf. Uh, it's like yeah, still top 10 prospect for the Mets uh, to finish up last year. Uh, and who's the other kid? Isaiah Green. He's listed as a designated hitter and a small one at that. Uh, I don't know he, why. He, he's an outfielder. He's a, yeah, a real speedy thought. outfielder. That's what I thought, but like I said, there's like really not a lot of info about these, uh, you know, these. Uh, they haven't played. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why. I mean, that, I, I mean, imagine me, a Cubs fan as well, at the U Darvish trade. I'm looking like, who the hell are these four players? And I had to really dig deep, like more than usual, for to find out who these guys were. I mean, so it, it's that's like the trend with these teams. It's like you want to tr- these these uh teams with the established players they want to trade away these big name players so they can get some value back and then they find out oops we waited too long to trade these guys so now we're not getting the same value back so instead of getting the top notch prospects we're they're getting a bunch of uh, players who are going to fill out the depth charts at the bottom levels of uh of their minor league system yeah at least that's what the cubs trade was this is what this trade looks like it, it appears i mean you got a couple the indians got a couple of young very young prospects. I'll give them this much. They're a lot closer to drinking age than the Cubs prospects are that they got in the U Darvis trade. So that's a plus for the I, I thought that comment was hilarious when you said all four of the prospects can't even legally drink yet. <laughs> I mean, one of them is barely 17 years old. He's barely <laughs> 17 years old. He should be in high school or learning how to drive. And he's, and he's just he's learning how to pack his bags and move to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, bring a winter coat. It's freezing up here. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my, I've been wearing a hoodie since, what, September, it seems like. So, uh, for these podcasts, I should say. So, yeah, um, at least they got middle of the infield with two established uh, uh, veterans. Uh, not veterans, sorry. Uh, two established major league talents and Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario. I was listening to Ricks and Barrels uh, this past weekend, and they, they kind of broke down this trade. And they were pretty livid at Cleveland for just kind of that's, throwing out Lindor. That's what I'm hearing a lot. Carlos Carrasco. Well, I mean, that's what I'm hearing a lot for the U Darvish trade, although finally Eric Longerhands uh, of, of Fangrebs had a lot of positive things to say, which I even I thought was a little bit too optimistic on the U Darvish trade. So maybe there is a lot, maybe there is some uh, uh, method to this madness, but it's like that. I don't know what this trend is. I don't know what the point is, but 
I just don't like the idea that these teams are just giving up uh, just for the sake of not spending money. And in return, they're just getting whatever prospects back. Uh, at least uh, if you were to listen to, uh, again, the podcast uh, I just mentioned, Rates and Barrels, they, they pretty much blasted this trade. And, uh, and if you listen to... Uh, if you've listened to, the, if you've read all the comments in the Baseball Life group about the youth arbitrary, trade, they pretty much shitted all over the Cubs and, and applauded the Padres for swindling the Cubs. But again, it looks like it's just garnering or gathering a lot of prospects, a lot of minor league players, just to add depth at the lower levels of, of their farm system. And again, well, like I always tell people, all you need is one of these prospects to hit. You don't need, I mean, just because you get quantity back, it doesn't mean you're going to get good quality back for all of them. Yeah. You just need one to hit, and you're justified. Even the Aroldis Chapman trade, Glover Torres is probably the only one that matters in that trade deal. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. But Cleveland, you, it's like – and then same thing with Chris Bryant. He's going to be leaving the Cubs too, and we're not going to get anything of value back in return. I don't think we are. We're just going to get this guy who is disgruntled as a Scott Boras agent, and the Cubs are going to be washing other hands to not have to pay him the big money. And that's it. That's the end. We're going to get some lower level prospect in return and, and say, well, you know, we're trying to slash payroll and we're trying to rebuild our farm system, which we are uh, trying to slash payroll. They're trying to add financial flexibility. Come on. Don't you know that it's not shedding payroll? It's winning the most flexible payroll award at the end of the year. Uh, all right. I mean, <laughs> the Cubs got a new, they, they, they basically redid the entire Wrigley Field uh, area here in Chicago where it's like baseball city, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, it, the streets are shut down on uh, during baseball games for the Cubs. Um, and they also got a new TV network, which was supposed to solve all problems, which means that they were going to charge people like me more money just so we can subsidize their stupid-ass TV yeah, network. I, I was going to say, what? didn't they just add a, a Boog, Boog uh, Xiaomi? He's the the new play by play guy, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so they had to pay him too. So because Len Casper decided that this is a sinking ship, and I'm gonna go to the White Sox so I can get a better chance to get win a World Series or to broadcast a World Series because I ain't doing it with this team. Uh, um, so anyway, that's that. Uh, there's a lot to like about this trade. I, I'm not bashing it too much, but uh, Francisco Lindor, I can see why you Darvish didn't get the prospects back that we that many Cubs fans were hoping for. I was really hoping for C.J. Abrams, and instead we get. We get two shortstops that are a little bit uh, lesser known. On the I like Owen side, Miller. I do like Owen Miller. I, I, yeah, I think I mean, he's there's a, a good lot to like here. There's yeah. a lot to like in that trade, and uh, but it, it, there's still like long, very long term projects. Like I mentioned for the Cubs, too many of them can't even drink yet. Which, <laughs> but on the bright side, on the bright side, Sean, I did see that a lot of those guys who the Cubs got in return did end up on the on the uh, Padres top twenty. Uh, prospect looks back in 2020, according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com. So it's not all gloom and doom here. It's just that you know that this is – listen, Cub fans wanted to redo the system, start from over. Uh, that's how you got to do it. Shock the system. And, and and then you saw a lot of comments like, why didn't we get this player? Why didn't we get that player? And I go, well, you asked for it. You got it. This is what it looks like when you want your team to start from scratch, blow it all up, and just, you know, get rid of all the all the bad and, and try to be good for years to come. This is what it looks like. And it always doesn't always work. I'm sorry, that's kind of repetitive, but it doesn't always work is what I'm trying to say because you look at the Pirates, that's what they've been trying to do. Although we know that the Pirates are cheapskates, but regardless. <laughs> or what the Phillies, the Phillies, they tried doing that too. 
They tried rebuilding from the ground up and it failed. So then they said, you know what, let's just spend money. And that failed too. <laughs> they got Bryce Harper, they got, uh, what's his name, Zach Wheeler, and, and they traded yep. for Andrew McCutcheon. And they still, they can't, they, they're damned if they do, they're damned that they don't, but I'll give them credit. They're trying. I can't fault them for trying it. And it, the plan is going a lot better than their, than their initial rebuild system. But it's like everybody wants their team to rebuild. And then when they see what the rebuild looks like, they get mad because of the players they got back. You asked for it. This is why I was like wanting for them to go a different route. But like I said, financial flexibility. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay, let's 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 pretend that we're the Pirates or Cleveland Indians, the third third largest market in the freaking country, and and we want to become the White Sox. You know, also begging that hey, we need more money, guys. So that's why we can't really spend the money. Although to the White Sox credit, they're trying. But it's after years of, uh, of of rebuilding. Anyway, I'm on my soapbox. Uh, we got a question here from a buddy, the Audibles, uh, Matt Bushnell. Uh, who was the best player Cleveland got in return? And if I may, I, I guess it has to be Josh Wolf by default there, right, Sean? I I think in the long run, it's probably Josh Wolf. Uh, though Andres Jimenez, they're going to get – Andres Jimenez is major league ready. He is probably going to be in the running for the gold glove for the next five years. He's a solid hitter in his first debut at uh, he was I think 21 years old this during the last season. He put up a 105 WRC plus. He uh, steals bags into trade Lindor, who you only have control of for one year and he was gone. Cleveland was not going to keep him to get back a starting shortstop. That's not going to replace Lindor. He's not going to hit the 30 home runs, but is he going to hit 10 to 12 home runs and steal 30 bags and give you great defense just like Lindor did. I think they did a hell of a job already replacing him. Of course, Jimenez might not start at shortstop right out of the gate because they also acquired, you know, Ahmed Rosario, who it wasn't but a few years ago, he was the number one prospect in baseball. And he just never developed the power that everybody thought he could he never learned to lay off a breaking pitch. He never learned to get ahead in the count. And it's just one of those things where physically Rosario could be one of the best players on a ball field, but mentally he's just not there. Both of the prospects that got in are great. Wolf's a great pitcher. Green could be a very good offensive player. He could never make it past a ball. It, that's just how it is with high school bats, especially the caliber of Isaiah Green. I think Jimenez is the best player in the deal by far. I think he's the most surefire thing. He's proven it, and they got him for five years. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. They got a major league-ready player who's under control for five years, especially for a financially strapped team like the Indians. Oh, man. Like I said, there's a lot to like here. Uh, if you're Cleveland, you couldn't ask for better. You got – I mean, I mean, you could have asked for better, but you didn't because you waited too long, or you, um, I don't know, miscalculated the the mark, the trade market for a Francisco Lindor. But you got back, you know, something out of nothing, right? I mean, I'm Rosario, Andres Jimenez, like I said, one of the, those. That's going to be your new shortstop, second base combination. I like Rosario. Uh, well, I was a big Rosario fan, but it seems like he can't get it. He can't put it together for whatever reason, but there's still a lot to like there. The the raw talent is there. I just don't know what's missing there. But the upside, I believe, is still latent, if anything. And Andres Jimenez is also a speedster as well. Uh, not maybe not doesn't have the same ceiling as uh, Matt Rosario, but two solid middle infield players to replace one guy. It's like 
you're at least covering your bases. And you still got Jose Ramirez, who uh, we found out is uh, is worth the was worth the long term extension that Cleveland gave him. So anyway, I'm kind of curious to see what that team looks. Like. I haven't had a chance to see what uh, what the new. Go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, I mean they have you know they acquired Josh Naylor from San Diego in the Clevenger deal, and he had a great postseason. And people forget that Josh Naylor himself is only 23, and he made the PCL look like child's play when he was hitting there. I mean, a lot of people do that, but Josh Naylor was really like kind of putting Jordan Alvarez-type numbers up in the PCL. It's just a very top-heavy lineup right now between Jimenez, Naylor, J-Ram, and Franmil Reyes. Um, The forgotten hitter in that lineup, which could be a fantasy-relevant player, um, the Indians don't have Carlos Santana this year. Of course, he signed uh, away into the division to the Royals. And so they're actually going to be right now. Jake Bowers is slated to start at first base. Yeah. Uh, Jake Bowers is, of course, the one they got back in the trade for Yandy Diaz, who, you know, man crush over here. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because I loved both Yandy and Jake Bowers and, you know, Jake Bowers came up for the Rays and he hit like eight or nine home runs and he was already a fan favorite and Tampa's just like, no, our fans can't have anything nice trade him. And he was a top 100 prospect. And, uh, I still like Jake Bowers. He's really struggled in Cleveland, but, um, it's first base is his to lose. He's an athletic first baseman. He can swipe some bags. He has legitimate power. Uh, should be interesting to see what he does. But their outfield is just a train wreck, would be putting it mildly. It's always a train wreck, man. Remember, the reason that Cleveland Indians didn't win the World Series is because they had no outfield defense, I should say. Uh, and it's been the same story for almost a decade now. It's like they don't have any outfielders. And with this uh, blow up of the roster, they still don't have any outfielders. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing that shocked a lot of people is um, in. I think Brandon Nimmo is a guy that the new Mets hierarchy is just not going to move under any circumstances. Sandy drafted him number one overall in his very first draft. New GM Jared Porter says he he loves watching Brandon Nimmo at bats. But there's some other players that possibly could have fit the mold that Cleveland would have wanted that could actually play the outfield that they didn't get. The only outfielder they got in the deal is you know 19 years old and hasn't played above rookie ball. So it, it was an interesting decision. Uh, they seem pretty committed to uh, pl- trying to play Oscar Mercado. Uh, Mercado, I'm sorry, um, in center field again. He's not listed on the roster resource as the starting center fielder. That's Bradley Zimmer. But from everything that I've seen so far, Mercado, who had that little 15-15 stretch in 2019, is going to be given the chance to become the everyday center fielder again in 2021. Yeah, Mercado is listed on the bench right now, along with Jordan Luplo. Uh, Bradley Zimmer is the speedy guy. I don't know how fast he can be with all the injuries at this point. <laughs> but he's supposed to have like dynamic sprint speed, according to yeah. uh, the Statcast numbers. So, uh, but I, let me ask you this then: I mean, they still have a really good, a really good pitching staff, though, with Shane Bieber, yep. Zach Plesac, Aaron Sabali. Like I said, it's a. It, I've been saying this before. Cleveland has this factory where they manufacture pitchers, and they just. You know, they, they trade a really established uh, pitcher and then they just bring up another no-name. I mean, we know who these guys are. but like, How many teams could trade Corey Kluber, Mike Clevenger, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, and still post one of the best rotations in all of baseball? 
Not many. No. Yeah, I would say none. <laughs> maybe the Padres, maybe, but maybe. then we saw how weak they look when 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 all the injuries started piling up on them, and yeah. their uh, farm system with all the pitchers that they have down there wasn't able to get them over the top last year. So, but and that's just the that's just the starting rotation. Look at the bullpen. James Karinchek, who we absolutely adored in season one of this podcast. Nick Whitgren, who's like a, a, a mainstay for me. I always look out for him in fantasy circles. Emmanuel Classe, who we talked about uh, numerous times here. Cal Quantrill, uh, who also comes from the Padres uh, system. Phil Matten, Adam Plutko. It's a who's who of uh, of uh, season one of Total Basis Podcast is basically what the bullpen <laughs> is. So the pitching staff looks tremendous. And the hitters look like crap. Like the hitting lineup looks like crap. With I, I like Jose Ramirez and Framil Reyes at the bot at the middle of the order with Jake Bowers, uh, hoping that he catches lightning in a bottle again, like he did in Tampa. But outside of that, it's just a mismatch of players. Um, but where do you see Cleveland? Uh, I guess finishing next year. Let me ask you this: Will they at least finish better than the Royals and the Tigers next season? Oh yeah, for sure. They're they're okay. pitching. They're their pitching is too good. When it comes to directly fantasy relevant stuff i think the biggest loser in this entire deal is jose ramirez who i have shares of all over the place and it's i'm I'm kicking myself because without lindor in front of him yeah i mean there's not a consistent threat of somebody being on base when jose ramirez hits his 35 home runs I'm maybe they bat him second and he chips in more stolen bases. I don't know. It's just, I feel like he loses a lot of RBI potential when Francisco Lindor is not batting in front of him. <laughs> I think he'll still get his though. I mean, he'll still get, the I, he, he will, he will, but I think it's going to be tougher. Oh yeah, for sure. It's going to be tougher, but yeah, you got big Framil Reyes protecting him, right? <laughs> Uh, well, we we talk about Cleveland. Let's talk about the Mets and how they look like now, if I may, here really quick. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, uh, who's at the top of the order, you mentioned that it looks like the Mets are not going to trade him anytime soon. It's still a, a, a very loaded lefty lineup, which is always a concern for me. But with Lindor at the middle of the order, so let me let me go top four right now is Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, who's a slap happy hitter, as we talked about numerous times on the uh, podcast here. Francisco Lindor on the right at the number three spot, switch hitting uh, shortstop, and then Michael Conforto. So you got three left-handers at the top of the order uh, before you get to Pete Alonso at the number five spot, which I don't like having Pete Alonso wait that long, but I understand why you need Jeff McNeil at the two at the two hole. But anyway, it's and then uh, following Alonso is Dominic Smith, assuming that there is no DH, he'll be playing left field according to this thing, uh, followed by JD Davis, and then James McCann to finish up the lineup with uh, Jose Peraza. <laughs> I don't know. I just I get I laugh at when I see Jose Peraza's name. <laughs> Jose Peraza. Uh, hey, they added Brandon Jury too, so there's going to be some competition for that right-handed infield outfield bench spot. There you go, Guillermo Heredia and Malik Smith uh, as the notable uh, bench spots uh, for this lineup. So finally, Brandon Nemo, Michael Conforto, and Dominic Smith will have regular playing time. The only drawback on those three players, Sean, you know what it is, is that they're left-handed. So, oh, that that that's okay with me, and I just want to go ahead and correct this absolutely unfounded Jeff McNeil slander that he is just some slapping Judy hitter. That man has a slugging percentage over five hundred for his career, and you will treat him with respect. All right. 
and, and, and you said, you know, when it comes to lefties, um, it is a lefty heavy lineup. Yes. You know, Nimmo, McNeil, Confortive, Smith. That's lefties right there. But you look at guys like Pete Alonzo, J.D. Davis, and especially James McCann, a big reason he was brought into this lineup is those guys crush left-handed pitching. And Brandon Nimmo has, still has a 370 career on base against left-handed hitters. McNeil is still batting well over 300 against left-handed hitters. So I feel like that top of the lineup, even though you do see several lefties back-to-back-to-back, um, you know, if Lindor is the three-hitter batting switch, you obviously he flips around. But it's not as top-heavy. And the guys like Conforto and Smith, who have been up and down versus lefties over their careers – you can protect them by putting a Pete Alonzo or a J.D. Davis behind them. So I think it's easier to balance out the lineup that way than it is to have them at the top of the lineup. All right. Um, I was going to do something here, and I kind of lost uh, my bearings here, but we're getting back to Jeff McNeil. So there's, I mean, I, you know me, I like Jeff McNeil, but I mean, it's fine. He has that 500 slugging percentage, but he's still a slap happy hitter. And this is why I'm going to tell you why. The guy is a high contact rate player, which is splendid. It's great. He has a hard hit rate of like 30% usually more often than not. 30% that I'm still looking to see where that would rank him in the grand scheme of things in 2020. And that puts him right in the, yeah, like in the Tommy LaStella territory. Or the uh, Tommy Lastella hits line drives. He gets base hits. I'm just telling you what the hard hit rate is uh, according <laughs> to Fangraphs. That's why I keep thinking that he's a slap happy hitter because <laughs> of that. And there's Jeff McNeil ranked as the 100 number 101 number 101st player among qualified hitters last year in hard hit rate. That's and and 142 players were 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 qualified for this list. So he's at the bottom of that list. Therefore, he's a slap happy hitter. <laughs> and and what, what else about him? And then hey, yeah, hey, he can turn on a ball when he wants to. He's a, a good golfer. He, he golf it out there. I mean, the low the low uh, hit hard hit rate along with the high contact rates. You are what you are. And there's nothing wrong with it. At least he produces. But that's why I call him a slap happy hitter because I mean he's listen he's not uh, he's not like Nick Madrigal or who's that who are the three guys you were telling me uh, last year that you wanted me to pick from the the punch and Judy hitters that you gave me oh my goodness oh I I totally forget I think one was Nick Madrigal uh, Hanser Alberto might have been on there yeah um. Oh God! I, that season one memories—we're already reliving memories from season one. This is—is is this real life? Yeah, man. I mean, you think this is just a fantasy baseball podcast where like we just go week to week and just do, to do it day by day? No, man. We there's always going to be uh, callbacks to previous episodes. But yeah, he's 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 a happy swinger. He gets a high contact rate and usually hits for a low hard hit rate. At least I'll give him this much credit. He among the punch and Judy hitters, he's at the top of the line, and I'm hoping Nick Madrigal can match him. You know, punch and Judy per punch and Judy, but. He, I, that's where I see him. He's on that list, but at least he produces and he's multiple. Um, like I said, I'm a big uh, Jeff McNeil fan, but he, he's also known as a flying squirrel and, and Animaniacs has rebooted. I'm still waiting for that first episode of Slappy Squirrel. In the meantime, <laughs> I'm going to settle for um, Slappy Jeff McNeil, Slappy Squirrel hitter. So right before we move on, I, I did all of this digging. So Jeff McNeil debuted in 2018 and I just did this because I wanted to see and I didn't realize it was actually identical. Um, 
one of the premier free agents still left on the board position player wise is DJ LeMahieu. Since 2018, DJ LeMahieu's line drive percentage is 22.4 with a 37.5 hard hit percentage. That's DJ LeMay is a great contact hitter. He always hits for high averages because he hits a lot of hard hit line drives and hard hit ground balls. He has a ground and, and ball. And he plays for very uh, hitter friendly ballparks, which. Well, it, yeah, his new ballpark, as long as he stays there, is going to be very beneficial to him. Um, Jeff McNeil also has a absolutely identical 22.4 line drive percentage. He hits less <laughs> ground balls, more fly balls, meaning he's going to be a more consistent home run threat. And his hard hit percentage is only slightly lower than DJ LeMahieu's, uh, according to Fangraphs. So of course, if you look at baseball savant, um, DJ LeMahieu has a much higher average exit velocity compared to Jeff McNeil. But I think they're why draft DJ LeMahieu where you have to draft him, I think his ADP right now is like right below 50. Like it's really high. And when I can get Jeff McNeil like 60 picks later, I don't get that. It just depends, right? If you if you're a big fan of, uh, I mean, I'm not a fan of both, but if you give me an option between one or the other, I'll go for the younger player because I think DJ LeMahieu's over 30 at this point. Yep, 32. Neil's 28 years old too, so you know what you know what they say: 28 is a new 32 at this point, right? <laughs> That's why Chris <laughs> Bryant. I mean, too old Fernando now. Tatis is getting 11 year deal at what 22 years old, so. You know, we we talked about it, and people made fun of a bunch of us who were all for Fernando Tatis getting these crazy long term deal with the big money. And it looks like the Padres are going to do it anyway. I don't. What, what's do you know uh, what the uh, money? Is it was what was being reported yesterday, but was never confirmed. Was eleven years, three hundred and twenty million. That's exactly what I told these guys uh, a few months ago. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a 10-year deal worth over $300 million. And people are like, why? He's only been a Major League Baseball player for one season. Why would you throw that money to a young kid who's not even who's still under team control? You know why? Because uh, you don't want him to end up like Chris Bryant, right? You know, you don't want him. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, what is the point of, of getting all this team control, team control, and you're just you're, – you're, your best player still plays for relatively peanuts? You know what I mean? It, it, your best player, it, 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 he he looks at what he's done. He's the most exciting player in all of Major League Baseball, and he gets paid like a peasant. I mean, if he signs that contract, Ronald Acuna needs to sue his agent for malpractice. Well, all of those guys, but that's the point, right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of these guys do it because they don't think they can uh, make it last. Get anything better. Yep, and they need that money now. Most of them need that money now. Because they're playing for peanuts. They're, if yeah, they need like, money now, they shouldn't sign that contract. They should just call JG Wentworth, or they, or they, <laughs> or they should just get Scott Boris to be their agent, and then, then, and then they'll never see that money ever because nobody wants to deal with Scott Boris. But listen, man, it, it, they got these kids on a vice, right? They, they got them by the balls, and they go, "All right, well, I know you have family back in the Dominican Republic, or or Venezuela, or Colombia, or Mexico." Uh, we could pay you this. We can lowball you now, or we can lowball you for the next seven years, and you'll get the minute, bare minimum. And we got to go through arbitration, and then you will never know if you'll be on the team or not. What happens if you get injured? Oh, then you're really screwed. So take this long-term extension, and the White Sox do it too. But I, I feel like the White Sox players are more than happy. I, mean, I think that's the not to get sinister here, but I think that might be the reason why that team loves to sign Cubans because compared to what they had in Cuba, they have nothing. So of course Jose Abreu signs for a long-term deal, and then he re-ups with them for only three years. 
defect uh, to the defect to the south side. <laughs> defect to the south side. Yeah, don't. And and then you know what? Take this long term money because the cops aren't going to give it to you. Look at Javier Baez. He still doesn't have long term deal. I'm, I'm telling you, I am coming up. I'm going to be a White Sox fan this year, and I'm going to make the hashtag South Side Defectors. I, that's going to be a trending thing on Twitter. Well, Luis Robert is going to win sophomore of the year, and I'm going to have it hashtag Southside Defectors. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, if, you, if you're doing it through our baseball life group, you got to run that by Matt Bushnell because uh, <laughs> he's in charge of all that. White um, Sox whale is so last year. It's white. Uh, it's Southside Defectors now. Well, it's, Bushnell it's pro- moving in on your territory. It's progressed over the years. It used to be White Sox whisper because there was only so many fans that actually attend games over there. But now it's uh, White Sox whale because they're finally doing something. Uh, also, guarantee rate field. Uh, because of that name change, I've noticed a lot of guarantee rate uh, offices around the city. So, don't say that these sponsorships uh, are a waste of money because uh, I now recognize guarantee rate as a legitimate uh, lending source. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but uh, top, I'm at the uh, Fantasy Pros uh, second base list, right? And yeah. DJ LeMahieu is listed at number two behind Ozzy Albies. Do you agree with that list? Ozzy Albies, I, I'm one. not drafting Ozzy Albies with a 10-foot pole. Ozzie I'm Albies, not. Your number one second baseman coming into the 2021 season. And that Sean gives me angina. Game. That gives me angina. Like I, People love Ozzy Albies, and he's a good player. And I think it's they just get so enamored and caught up with the stolen base potential. And I can't hate on people for doing that because you'll catch me drafting Alberto Mondesi at like 38 overall just to get some stolen bases. But Ozzy Albies, just like the potential, he crushes lefties and then he's a below league average hitter against righties. And I guess being in a good lineup and, but even then they've started to move him down the lineup. Uh, he's not really batting second as much. He was batting seventh, I think a lot in 2020, I don't know. I don't get the hype about Ozzy Albies. I'm drafting DJ LeMayhew. I'm drafting Jose Altuve. I'm drafting Jeff McNeil way before I ever touch Ozzy Albies. I know I'm alone in that, and I know I sound crazy, but I'm just not doing it. Yeah, I mean, second base is pretty deep this year. Um, it was deep last year, but I feel like it's deeper this year. I think it goes – They can second base can make an argument that it goes uh, 17, 18 deep. Uh, yeah. Well, if you're going to go that of a stretch. I mean, you, you really got to stretch yourself. But the 18th ranked uh, second baseman is Joey Wendell. Uh, and if I'm waiting around for a second baseman and I get, I end up with Joey Wendell, I am not that worried. Right? Because then you'll be My just thing playing. Is, is Joey play. Wendell going to be playing, though? Like, is, is he um, actually going to have an everyday assuming job? They, assuming that he does play, and because it's, it's still with the Rays, and you know how I feel about the Rays and, and drafting players from their end. But Joey Wendell, when he does play, he's pretty productive in short spurts. And if you're gonna be waiting that long for second base anyway, which I don't, I don't, uh, I don't condone it, but if you are, that means you'll just be playing musical chairs at second base, and then there's always somebody available on waivers for second baseman. So, but again, you got to make a really good argument to stretch yourself thin like that to the 18th spot. But there's some, there's a lot of good second baseman up this year. Why anybody would want to reach for any of these guys, like DJ LeMahieu, you just talked about him. DJ LeMahieu is actually going six spots ahead of his ADP. Yeah. And the reason for that is because Yankee bias. Yankee bias is real in fantasy circles. You got to always be mindful of that. But because he's been pretty much the most productive second baseman um, in the last couple of years or so. Uh, Whit Merrifield, Keston Kiora, Brandon Lau. Ketel Marte, Kevon Brandon, Bish, I mean, Brandon Lau is a players. steal. 
Brandon McNeil. You get to Jeff McNeil at number nine. Yeah, yeah. Je- I'm taking Jeff McNeil over like six of those guys. <laughs> and, and, and call me a Mets bias, but the guy's a 310, 380, 500 hitter for his career. Jose like, what's wrong with that? Jose Altuve still ranked number eight. And I would, I would, in my rankings and my personal rankings, if I'm guaranteed that Jeff McNeil will be starting every single game now and not have to platoon with anybody, because it looks like the Mets are not built for a platoon system like they, like the Tampa Bay Rays are. But if McNeil is going to be guaranteed playing time, you're telling me that he hits very good against lefties. And uh, even though the slap happiness is, uh, it, it actually turns into major production for him. Why would you rank him at number nine? Why not rank him ahead of guys like Kayvon Biggio and maybe even 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 maybe Ketel Marte and Brandon Lau make Jeff McNeil a top five priority at second baseman. Is that too far-fetched right there, Sean? I've been trying to tell not just Mets fans, but mainly Mets fans. They have two guys at the top of that lineup that, you know, over the last three years, Brandon Nemo has a 397 OBP that's tied for the sixth highest in baseball. And you could put Jeff McNeil, who is a perennial batting title contender, who's batted no lower than I think 309 or 308 in his career, right behind Jeff McNeil. And they're a perfect yin yang. Nimmo works a lot of counts, deep counts. Uh, McNeil swings at the first pitch 50% of the time and hits a lot of balls like when he swings the first time. It's kind of crazy. (laughs) And then you're also now putting Francisco Lindor behind Jeff McNeil. You're putting guys like Michael Conforto, Pete Alonzo, Dom Smith behind McNeil. I'm telling you, if this lineup stays healthy, the the Mets bats in this lineup are really going to shock some people because we haven't seen the counting stats from guys like Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil over a full year. Uh, meanwhile, Ozzie Albies in his first full year in 2018, he had a 305 on base percentage and still scored 105 runs because of the lineup he was in. I feel like this is a situation the Mets could very easily find themselves in starting this year. There's so many on-base threats, you know, with Nemo and McNeil at the top that guys like Lindor, Alonzo, Conforto are really going to be high RBI guys while Nemo and McNeil become like some of the best elite run scorers. As long as McNeil will stop trying to steal bases and take the extra base. Oh my God. He is a a good runner and he's a negative, uh, like, three base BSR guy over the last three years. He's a terrible base runner. It makes no sense. Um, Rant's over. Yeah. Let me see here. Let me see here. Oh, they don't have it. I was going to look at his sprint speed, but it's not readily available at Fangraph, so forget it. Uh, Ozzy Albies, I think a lot of it is because he's uh, 24 years old. Oh, he, yeah, he's uh, 24 years old now. He just turned 24. Uh, and because he can potentially steal 15 stolen bases. I think, and, and can hit for 24 home runs. And, and you know what the thing that has always confused me is when I, I see on Twitter, like why people rank Ozzy Albies as high as they do. Oh, he's a 25-25 threat. When he's never attempted more than 19 stolen bases in a season and his season high is 15. Like 15 stolen bases is, you know, fantasy relevant, but yeah. people make it sound like he's going to steal 25, 30 bags. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't see that. Uh, career 330 on base percentage. Uh, steamer mm. projects him to be a 336 on base percentage guy. Which I'm sorry, I, I know that a lot of roto leaguers, like the five by five traditional leaguers, uh, are all about the counting stats, but to me, that's not even worth 
ranking him at number one, a 330 on base percentage. We, we just named a bunch of guys who have more upside, better production, uh, safer floors than Ozzy Albies. And, you know, at one point I did like Ozzy Albies, but he's way too inconsistent for me. And I feel like a lot of that is just uh, name recognition uh, more than anything. But anyway, I wanted to ask you a question here. If I could find my list, and I just lost my list. Okay, Where while you're going? looking for it, the weird thing with Ozzy Albies is, like I said, in 2018, he scored 105 runs his first full season in the league, and he had a 305 on base, and he scored 105 runs. In 2019, he upped his on base to 352, which was almost in line with his 354 of his rookie season, and he scored 102 runs. So it, it's I can I see why Roto players gravitate towards him so much is because he seems like a just a sure thing. Just yeah. four runs batting in front of guys like Acuna and Freddie Freeman. But at some point, an inconsistent OBP like that, because he's done 350, 305, 350, 306. So maybe this year is the year he puts up another 350 on base, and I might actually draft him. Who knows? I don't know, man. I, I feel like he'll be closer to those steamer projections than he will yeah. be. Oh, yeah. Career highs, yeah. So. yeah, he will. <laughs> Shut up, baby. Wait, I don't know if you guys can hear it, but my baby's just screaming bloody murder right now. I, Shut I, up. I, I can't anyway, hear uh, her. It's okay, Penelope. He's almost done. I promise. Yeah. Um, you know, we're on this Ozzy Albies tip, and I can't help but kind of remind folks what kind of podcast you're listening to right now. This is not we, – we obviously do not play enough traditional 5 by 5 for us to have it matter in our lives. We just kind of have to be accounting for it because that is the most popular uh, style of fantasy in, um, in all of baseball. But we obviously are more of a long-term fantasy baseball podcast. That's why we're the Total Basis Podcast. But we also – talk a lot about real life baseball because it kind of plays with our keeper and dynasty league sensibilities. But, you know, we mostly play, I've mostly played fantasy point and categories league. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you do as well, Sean. Yeah. So when you tell me that Ozzy Alves is your number one prospect or second baseman because of uh, the potential for him to steal 15 bases and hit 24 home runs, I, I can't get over the fact that he's such an inconsistent player. You, when it comes to, Like the race stats. You know, let me, let me finish up here. Oh, okay. I, 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 as a fantasy leaguer, depend on rate stats to figure out long-term success for these players because I, I, I count on it. That's the only counting stat I count on is, can I count on you long-term to be a mainstay on my fantasy baseball team? And Ozzy Alves, at one point, he was a very intriguing prospect, but coming into his fifth season, he's just too up and down for me. I'd rather just roll the dice with Jeff McNeil again. I'm not sorry, not Jeff McNeil. Uh, Diesel Lemayhew again and put him at, number, at my number one spot and move up a guy like Jeff McNeil uh, from the number nine to a top five position, just because uh, I like I, I like the consistency that he might bring McNeil might bring in long term baseball. Sean, how do you see it? I agree. I mean, we we've been going on Albies here for a minute, but and it's since 2018 he has the six most stolen bases of any any second baseman at uh, 32. That places him one stolen base above guys like Nico Goodrum and Jose Peraza. Who are you talking and, about now? I'm sorry, Ozzy Albies? Ozzy Albies. Okay, and that ahead. places him three behind Colton Wong. And, of course, Ozzy Albies is going to give you more home runs, uh, 54 compared to Wong's 21 and Nico Goodrum's 33. But why are we? Why are you going to pay a premium to get Ozzy Albies, who is a much higher risk play that I think we both agree on, when you can get Colton Wong, who's a much more established on-base guy, and get the same amount of stolen bases – 
or Nico Goodrum, who is essentially free. Um, <laughs> he's not an attractive option, but he's an option. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I'm, no. I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Nico Goodrum over the last three years, if I just lost it, uh, here it is. Uh, 33 home runs, 31 stolen bases. That's like a 15-15 pace over a full 162, which is fantasy relevant, apparently, according to some people. Yeah, and it goes back to my argument about, oh, if you wait till to get uh, Joey Wendell, then you're just playing musical chairs at second base. Nico Goodrum is a decent musical chair replacement uh, at second base if you uh, decide to punt at the second base position. Yeah. So let's go full circle back to the Mets. Uh, it's, this is uh, Mets baseball here at the Total Basis Podcast here. <laughs> With the lineup we just mentioned, and we know how good the rotation is, but for those who need a little reminder, by the way, I like. Uh, I just want to point out that Leon Tompkins uh, uh, are from the Step Back Podcast over at Ball is Life. He mentioned, we were talking about the uh, how some of these teams are low-balling a lot of these uh, Latino players with the long-term deals, except for Fernando Tatis, apparently, because the Padres are loaded with money. You, you, you mentioned call J.G. Wentworth. And Leon responds back with, or call Scotty Pippen. <laughs> a lot of these, these deals with the Latino players, it seems to be like, or you know, let's, you know, some of the American players too, like Evan White and um, Anthony Rizzo is a famous one. If you're a first baseman and you play for a, a team like that, you're an up-and-coming first baseman, you will get short, short-sighted apparently, uh, short, short-changed a little bit with the money, I guess. I, I, I don't know. Because you only play first base. Although if you're Anthony Rizzo, you can play second base. But anyway, you know, you know who should have accepted his uh, pre-MLB debut extension and didn't, and it bit him in the ass. John Singleton. <laughs> <laughs> PED used ass. <laughs> he can't. He can't lay off the weed or the PED. So anyway, <laughs> so we 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 mentioned the Mets lineup. It's pretty decent. I feel like if they can get one more established right-handed bat. Uh, then, then they were talking. I, I, I would feel more comfortable about them coming into 2021. Although, then you kind of bring up the point as well: who do you bench? Yeah, and, yeah. That, that's the thing about trying yeah. to add another bat into that lineup is who sits. Because right now, with no DH, you're already looking at having to play Dominic Smith in left field, which is not ideal. No. Obviously, for fantasy, we don't really care about defense, but we do care about defense if it affects. Your time. player trying to get playing time. Yeah. And if Dominic Smith gets pushed out uh, in favor of someone like George Springer, who I think the Mets are definitely going to back out on now. They're going to keep tabs on it. Yeah. But there's no way they can justify benching Dominic Smith for, say, Jackie Bradley Jr., who Mets fans are clamoring oh, for. God, because they, they, they say, oh, we need to be strong up the middle. We need to be strong up the middle. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, you can't bench Dominic Smith or Pete Alonso for Jackie Bradley Jr. It's just that simple. But yeah, I mean, uh, you could even go with just bench JD Davis, and but then that defeats the purpose of getting a right-handed bat. So yeah, you're right. Dominic Smith would be the guy, and uh, I mean, sacrifices have to be made if you want to go from being that team that misses the playoffs. When we podcast flashback, Sean, we we talked about it last year. They had the numbers. They had the numbers, the statistics, the, st the stats that backed them up as a legitimate playoff baseball team last season. And we could see it on the, with our eyes that they just didn't have enough gas to go that long run. But there's enough talent here. Where, I mean, you know me. I'm the biggest Mets fan when it comes to fantasy baseball. I try to grab as many Mets players. I, I reach for them because I, I play with a lot of Mets fans, especially in our baseball life league. So, But that's the lineup. The pitching staff, I mean, now it looks it looks tremendous at this point with Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Carrasco, Marcus Stroman, who now looks fantastic as a number three 
starting pitcher, David Peterson, who we uh, 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 we had nothing but good things to say about him last season, and Steven Metz. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, don't, I don't want to talk about Steven Metz. But you know, now you got Edwin Diaz, Trevor May, Miguel Castro, Dylan Batanzas, Joey's Familia, Brad Brack, Jacob Barnes, Seth Lugar. That is a very formidable relief pitching core right there. And I think that's the reason why the numbers love the uh, this Mets team was because there's they look they're pretty damn strong as a relief court, and you still got Noah Syndergaard waiting in the wings. You still got Robinson Cano, who might show up eventually to take playing time away from Jeff McNeil. But, yeah, in a year. I mean, he's he's done for the year, so. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was I, – I forgot how long. Oh, I see. Suspended for 21, 21. Okay, forget. Okay, so forget what I said about Robinson Cano. But that being said, the Braves are the team to beat, obviously, in the division, uh, as far as what people are telling me. And the Phillies may or may not do anything. And then you still got the Marlins, who there's no way in hell. There's no way in hell they're going to repeat their performance last year where they snuck into the playoffs. And who's the last team that I haven't mentioned in that division? I'm missing Nationals. Uh, oh. All right. Well, you know, who added yeah. Josh Bell and could theoretically add Chris Bryant. They've been – And Kyle Schwarber, too. Yeah. And they just added Kyle Schwarber. You're, you're correct. Um, you mentioned the pitching and the bullpen. I'm taking this straight from an article that I stayed up all night writing last night, and it's hopefully going to be put out today or tomorrow. Uh, You said, you know, why the Mets look so good in numbers. If you go to Fangraph's depth chart projections right now, um, with the players that are on the roster, the Mets are projected to have the highest pitching war total of anyone in baseball. Mm. higher than the Dodgers and higher than the super staff that the Padres are assembling. And, and that's just by simply adding Carlos Carrasco. Yep. And it, it, it is asking a lot from Cookie. He's, you know, what, 33, 34 now. But he's projected for three and a half war, Stroman at two and a half, and then Syndergaard in 100 plus innings is right at two war projected. You know, these are all just projections. Um. And when people might be skeptical about that, if you look since 2018 to 2020, minimum of, uh, I think I had 350 innings or 300 innings, there are four in the top 35 starting pitchers, according to FIP, the Mets have four of them. Mm -hmm. And that places Jacob deGrom's one, Syndergaard is 12, Carrasco 17, and Stroman at 34. That's a hell of a rotation. It, it might not be stacked up glamour-wise with the Padres. It's deeper than the Nationals, and I think has less question marks than the Nationals do right now because if the Nationals lose just one of Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, I think they're done. Uh, I mean, and Strasburg's coming back from carpal tunnel, and I've never in my life seen a pitcher have carpal tunnel, so I have no clue what that recovery's like. And when yeah. you look at the Braves, I, everyone says that they still have the lead in, in the rotation. And I'm not really <laughs> sure I see it. Like, I, I really don't see it. And Fangraphs doesn't either. The Mets are projected for 20.3 war in pitchers. Uh, right now, the Braves are at 15.6. Like, am I really supposed to be scared of Drew Smiley? Seriously? Like, well, I got I got blocked. I got blocked by a Braves fan because I, I, I was he, he got tired of me criticizing the rotation. And he blocked me after going on these like paragraph long rants against me. He blocked me. Like, how sensitive are you as a Braves fan? And Braves fans in general, they they were rarely sensitive to our criticism last season. I don't know why. I mean, it's just 
it's just criticism. And then, then you know, they went above and beyond the Call of Duty these pitchers did. With luckily, they got Ian Anderson. Anderson. I was saying it all year. I said they're going to throw enough of these arms against the wall. Anderson, right? Uh, Bryce Wilson. They're going to throw one of them against the wall, and one's going to stick. And I think it's going to be Ian Anderson. But even then, you're relying on Mike Soroka coming back from a torn Achilles, which he probably misses one to two months out of the year. That steps Max Freed up into your ace role. Who mm. Max Freed is talented, but yeah. he has his issues. That, that has and, to be the weakest ace in all of baseball in terms of the top echelon teams. That has to be the weakest, right? The Detroit Tigers have entered the chat. Well, I, I, among, <laughs> among the top echelon teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say it is. And even Mike Soroka, I think, is a good pitcher, but I, it's hard to classify him as an ace as he seems – I mean, Greg Maddox was an ace, and he relied on pitching to contact and weak contact and all that. Yeah. But it's – I need to see more than a season and a half from Soroka to call him the next Greg Maddox. Like, I'm looking at the lineup right now. This this this, this has turned out to be an AL East forum. But oh, by the way, uh, Albies is going to be hitting at the number five spot according to roster resource, which is hilarious to me. But I'm looking at the lineup, the Braves lineup, and I don't feel as good about them as I do about the Mets lineup. Their pitching staff, I don't feel as good about the rotation as I do about the Mets rotation and their bullpen. They're neck and neck. I'll give them that much credit. The Braves have a really good bullpen from my vantage point. But the Mets can go toe-to-toe with them there as well. Yeah. I, I am at this juncture of 2021, January 10th of 2021. Why not the Mets for the AL East division? And NL if you NL NL said the NL East, sorry, <laughs> NL East division. And if, if uh, what's his name? The, what's the, uh, Cohen, right? Steve Cohen? Yeah. If Steve Cohen keeps doing what he's been doing and, and, and pushing to acquire more talent, which I'm always a big fan of, just acquire talent. I don't care how you get them, free agency, trade, or a waiver, whatever, just get them. Talent, more talent always wins out than less talent. Duh. But if he continues at this rate, they might legitimately have the best team in that division when spring training eventually comes forward this season. Yeah. In, in the bullpen, I think, is close with the Mets. Uh, but when you compare the back end three of Chris Martin, Will Smith, who's being paid fifteen million dollars, and roster resource doesn't even has him as, as the closer, I, I I would think Will Smith is going to get a lot of the save opportunities. He's getting paid too much money not to. And then AJ Minter, that, that's they have a lot of lefties in that bullpen, which seems weird. Tyler Matzik had a, a breakout year uh, last year. He was really really good. Had forty three strikeouts in twenty nine innings, ERA under two eight. Um, but when you line it up as Chris Martin, Will Smith, AJ Mincer versus Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo, Trevor May, I think it's an, an easy call to make there. Uh, the one thing that the Braves will have in spades is defense, but yeah, not but, fantasy uh, uh, you still need to get those runs in, man. I mean, yeah, defensively, they, they, I'll give them that. They're, they always bring, although Austin Riley at third base, I don't know how, how comfortable I feel. Uh, about Austin Riley at third base. I feel like he's kind of a, a mess there. Is he a mess? I don't remember. Uh, So-so. Yeah, so. He's J.D. Davis. He has cement feet, but a cannon for an arm. But they're all feel. I mean, Ronald Acuna, Kristen Pache, and uh, Ender Enciarte. I mean, that's that, that, they cover a lot of ground together. Yeah, they're, they're going to pick it in the outfield for sure. Especially Pache. Enciarte and Pache are at the bottom of the order. Which I'm sorry if you're if two of your outfielders are at the very bottom of the order, you got problems. 
So yes, yeah, Inciarte and Pache's uh, slugging percentages added up from the 2020 season is uh, together 500. They both <laughs> slugged 250. I mean, Pache only had four plate appearances. I'll I'll be honest there, but come on, that, that's a pretty weak bottom half of the order. But hey, he's if 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 they go on like this, Pache will overtake Ender Inciarte at center field, which. NCR, well, they own that. centered for center field right now, and they're going to have oh, I know that's why. He's such a young player, and he's already overtaking Ender NCR for the center field spot if the roster resource projections are. So, Sean, definitive answer. Do the Mets – are your Mets here uh, on January 10th? Are they the favorites to win the NL East division? I don't see why they wouldn't be. Uh, they have one of the deepest lineups, one through nine. I mean, what, they're one through seven. I – would stick up there with just about any lineup um, except maybe the Dodgers or Yankees. And even then they're right there with those teams. Uh, the rotation is going to be sticky. Uh, how they get to Noah Syndergaard and how they deal with Noah Syndergaard is going to be very difficult um, because uh, I mean, he's coming off Tommy John and you know, they say they're going to wait till June so you you would say that's probably 12 or 13 starts that he misses, and then he comes back. But what if from June and he stays healthy and pitches till September and the Mets are in the playoff hunt, they run into a, a Matt Harvey 2.0 situation. What do you do with him? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I know Sandy Alder, it really bugged Sandy Alderson and Terry Collins to do last time. Um, they didn't want to pitch him because they knew he was bumping up against that limit. And he ended up throwing two almost 230 innings, including the playoffs, at the season after Tommy John, which was just totally unheard of. Wow. So then you're looking at guys like Steven Matz getting over 100 innings, which I'm not necessarily against, but he was really, really bad in 2020. Very, very bad. Yeah. And so maybe the Mets go out there and make one more signing. Uh, uh, Garrett Richards, please. If you're listening, Steve, uh, I love Garrett Richards. I think he would fit this rotation perfectly. And when Syndergaard comes back, Garrett, we saw Garrett Richards out of the bullpen for San Diego at the end of 2020. He looked really good. He could be Seth Lugo light. He's got that great fastball and a hellacious curveball and slider that could really play well out of the bullpen. I, I think Garrett Richards would be a good low-risk, high-upside signing for the Mets to round uh, out that rotation until Syndergaard gets healthy. I- I see a comment at the Baseball Life Facebook group saying that you think that, but you'd be wrong from some uh, this guy named Andrew. I, I'm assuming he's a Marlins fan. What am I missing about the freaking Marlins? Yeah, there's some upside in their lineup. There's some. I like their pitching staff if if it, they can, but there's still a work in progress. We talk about it numerous times here about the Marlins pitching staff. The bullpen, Yimi Garcia, finally getting a shot at the closers role. Which, uh, finally, after years, my, my Yimi Garcia shares are paying off now. <laughs> Well, after years and years of, of, of having that profile to be a closer, it just he never had the opportunity because he was always on a good team. Uh, but now he's on a bad team, and now he's going to get that uh, opportunity. But apparently, the Mar- I'm missing something about the Marlins, apparently, because now I got a Marlins fan. I, I'm assuming he's a Marlins fan, this Andrew kid. I'm assuming he's a Marlins fan. Now I'm getting attacked because I don't believe in the Marlins. What's going on here, Sean? What am I missing about the Marlins? I, I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. They have a, a really solid starting five. I'll give them that. But then they have all of maybe like two relievers that I actually trust. Yeah. Um, Ross Detweiler. Oh, my God. Uh, Ross Detweiler still pitching? What? Yeah. 35. <laughs> oh maybe 35 uh, he had 15 strikeouts in 19 innings. So maybe there is something to it. But it, it it's still Ross Detweiler. Oh, goodness. He's not even TJ Detweiler. He's not even that interesting. 
from recess. Anyway, but I mean, that's the, that's enough more on this talk. They don't deserve any of our attention here. So uh, <laughs> at least not right now. Let's move on really quick. I think we're almost done with the uh, with the oh snap. Okay, we're an hour already in. That's uh, Ryan Stanak. Uh, he's also another guy we talked about last year uh, numerous times with former Marlin. Um, he looked, I mean, I think we talked about him last season as being the heir apparent to that closers position, uh, that closers role in the bullpen. And it just kind of fell off the rails for him. Do you, uh, he got signed by the Astros. It looked like, do you still believe in Ryan Stenek to do anything? Uh, uh, yes, especially if he's going to Houston, because where do relief pitchers go when they're broken and then automatically turn into relief pitch aces? They go to Houston. Well, yeah. Like she- yeah, because yeah, I, I I really like Stanek, the fastball slitter co- or splitter combo. I, I think he's a good pitcher. And of all the places he could have gone, he's dealt with some really bad home run luck, especially in 2020. Um, he only pitched 10 innings and gave up uh, three home runs, which was like a 2.7 home run per nine. Um, but he's got good velocity. I, I think that's a good, smart pickup by the Astros, which – should be nothing new. They're always ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, next up, AJ Cole, who's wow, he's 29 years old already. But he at one point he was a very highly touted prospect for I believe the Nationals, if I remember correctly. Uh, agreed to a minor league contract with the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't know how much you know about this guy, but uh, I know that when I first started writing, uh, he was one of those uh, top 100 prospects that I mentioned in, in one of my first blogs ever. And to see him now kind of being like uh, just like waiver wire fodder at this point of his career. I mean, do you still believe or is there any hope for AJ Cole to kind of reinvent himself? Not really. I I, I was never big on the AJ Cole anyway. <laughs> All right. Never mind that. Uh, uh, speaking of the Marlins, they picked up some guy named Stephen Tarpley. Um, is so the, the, the Mets picked up Stephen Tarpley from I'm sorry, the Marlins. The Mets- picked up Steven from the Marlins. My bad. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, so obviously he's a Mets. So yeah, Mets bias. You believe in him. I am assuming. Uh, he's former Yankee farmhand lefty, big curveball, really good curveball. Um, just the, the fastball gets hit a lot. Um, the Mets have basically, they have one left-handed pitcher in the bullpen that is on their 40 uh, man roster. They gave a – well, now two with Stephen Tarpley. They sent Jerry Blevins a minor league deal with invite to spring training. Uh, what they really need is either re-sign Justin Wilson, sign Brad Hand. They need a quality lefty. Tarpley is just optionable depth. And a lefty relief pitcher with two major league options, that's – any team wants that on their 40-man, the way they manipulate bullpens now, you know, always up and down, up and down. So – He's good depth. He's not really fantasy relevant, though. And finally, because uh, the other there's a there was another trade that happened that, but it, it, I don't know. Unless you want to talk about that trade with the uh, was it the Nationals and the Giants, I believe. But the big one, the big signing this week was Kyle Schwarber going to the Nationals for a one year, ten million dollar contract. Which to me, I don't know why the Cubs couldn't. Because to me, it sounds like the Cubs were not going to have to pay him that much money for twenty one. The, the 21 season, I should say. And I'm sorry, the trade was the Giants and the Phillies, but I don't know. It's up to you if you want to talk about that. No, it's not. Nah. Okay, it's a Met trade. But the Schwarber deal, um, I just feel like, man, it's just you, you talk about it, the Cubs just like completely giving up on this 21 season. I and mean, this is it right here. But Schwarber does have a lot of holes in his game. 
uh, deficient left fielder. I mean, he has a strong arm, and he's he tries really hard to play the <laughs> position in left field. It's not good enough, and now he's going to what I I perceive to be a, a much larger outfield in Washington, but I'll let you uh, tell me if I'm right or wrong on that. But here's some other things about Schwarber. Uh, good potential power, strikes out a lot. But it also takes a lot of pitches. But he's a very patient hitter. But I mean, when, when you're super patient, you tend to strike out a lot as well. Um, inconsistent, man. I'm very disappointed in him last season. But the, the potential is always there with him. A 90 WRC plus. That means he was uh, was a 10% worse, worse than league average uh, among hitters. Although it was a wacky 2020 season. I mean, he's still he was among the 10% worst hitters last season. Um, and I'm just trying to see here. Uh, I mean, he still hits the ball pretty hard. Uh, 40.8% hard hit rate again, according to fan graphs. Not a lot of line drives. 50.8% yeah. ground ball rate last year. Yeah, that, that, is, that was what sunk him. <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, he's not fast enough to, uh, you know, beat out those runners, uh, uh, beat out those grounders. So I don't know what the hell's going on here. Uh, but they, I mean, he was neutralized. Left-handed hitters always get easily neutralized, right? They, they put the shift on, and all of a sudden, you're being uh, contact with a lot of uh, ball pitches that make you hit the ball on the ground. Finally, uh, like I said, he's a very patient hitter, only a 42.6 swing rate. Maybe he needs to be more aggressive. I don't know. He only saw 39% of pitches inside the zone. I mean, that's that's Bryce Harper territory right there. Um, and he has a 11.2 swinging strike rate according to Fangrass, which is right in uh, aligning with his uh, career record, uh, with his career track record. And that's actually on the low side of things with him. So he's improving in that regard, but it's just not matching. It's not uh, resulting into better production. Sean, what is wrong with Kyle Schwarber? And can he save himself when he gets to Washington? It makes no sense that he went to a National League team. And he's one of the few players I wanted to mention this when you were talking about how the Cubs couldn't uh, bring him back. Uh, he was only estimated to make about $7 million in arbitration. So he's yeah. one of those few people that were non-tendered and made more money after being non-tendered, yeah. uh, as this was a one-year $10 million deal. Um, I think offensively, the fit kind of makes sense. I, I don't think the Nationals really needed another lefty, but I guess he's going to kind of take that Eric Thames-type role. Um, but if over, I may. Yeah, if go I ahead. May. Right now in the lineup for according to roster resources, they have second. two guys who are starting lefties in that lineup with Josh Bell being a switch hitter. Everybody else is right-handed uh, in the starting lineup, so maybe yeah. that's why they did it. No, I, I mean the it could be really good for him if he's batting in front of Juan Soto like roster resource has it. That's really good. I, I, I think like that. that's a big thing for Kyle Schwarber because one, he's going to get more pitches to hit, and two. He walks a lot already, so he's going to be on base for when Juan Soto hits his 75 home runs this year uh, because we all know that's going to happen, right? I hope so. He's, on my, uh, he's in our league. He's in my league. Going back to the National League thing, uh, going to the Nationals, since 2017, he's been minus 30 outs above average, which is baseball savant's uh, fielding <laughs> metric. Um I don't know how to say this. That's really freaking bad. It, it, it's atrocious. Why couldn't he go to the AL? Why couldn't he have gone to Cleveland? I mean, Cleveland already has like three DH candidates, but they need a corner outfielder. They they obviously don't care about defense. So he's just an outfielder. He should have gone there. But um, yeah, he's a good bat. I've always liked the Kyle Schwarber profile. I don't yeah. know why. I mean, maybe the Yankees could have used him. I don't know. I haven't heard that Anthony Rizzo. 
might even go to Washington eventually, but I don't know. I, I I'm not. I don't know anything definitive there. But oh yeah, because they got Josh Bell anyway. But we all know that Anthony Rizzo could play second base anyway. So anyhow, <laughs> that's jokes aside. Um, no, I there's something lacking here with the Nationals, and you're kind of hoping for a bunch of guys to kind of uh, live up to their potential, including a guy like Victor Robles and Carter Kipum. Um, but um, it's an interesting team. Uh, and kudos to Mike Rizzo for not giving up and waving the white flag. And But like you mentioned earlier, they are kind of lacking in the pitching rotation and their bullpen is still kind of worrisome if you're a Nationals fan. Um, the the one know. person I would tell people to keep an eye out for is Tanner Rainey. Uh, yeah. Roster Resource has him as the closer. He was their best relief pitcher last year. Yeah. Um, he had a whip well under one, 32 strikeouts in 20 innings. The control is always going to be a, an issue with him, but he could be a guy who picks up a lot of saves just because there's not many other options in that bullpen. I mean, they could go to Will Harris or Daniel Hudson, but combined they're like 70 years old. So I don't know why they would. Uh, Tanner Rainey's the future in that bullpen. Sean Doolittle is the way of the Dodo bird. He's gone. Um, so whenever their big three are actually starting games and pitching into the sixth or seventh inning, uh, Tanner Rainey might pick up a lot of saves. But when Eric Fetty and Joe Ross are pitching, um, don't watch. No. <laughs> they got nobody coming up in the farm system to bail them out this time around. Like and they, and they just to. traded Will Crow, who is probably their most top-rated, most closest to the major yeah. leagues. It's, and he um, wasn't going to He wasn't going to yeah, do he, anything. He, he wasn't very good either. Yeah, so – this is a mess, man. I don't know how, if you're a Nationals fan, you can feel when good it, about yourself, except for the fact that your general manager refuses to give up. So Yeah, when it crashes, it's going to crash real hard. Yeah. But until then, man, uh, that's it. I got nothing else on the docket, Sean, unless you want to talk about something else. Uh, I know we're way over, but that's fine. Yeah. The premiere of season two of the Total Basis podcast. Happy to be back after a long uh, holiday break. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, I hope uh, everybody's 2021 goes a lot better than their 2020. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, uh, current events, uh, if uh, there are any indication, we're off to a rip-roaring start, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to see it. But, Sean, anything else you want to talk about before we go? Well, you said it. We're off to a rip-roaring start. Let's make it the rip-roaring 20s again. <laughs> <laughs> make make America 1920s again. Oh no, that means 2030. We're gonna have a world war and uh, prohibition. Uh, everybody, come on, guys, load up on booze. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, Sean, happy to see you again. Uh, yes, on these airways. We go. We're starting a little earlier this year with our uh, podcast, and make sure that you could join our Baseball Life Facebook group. That's where we air live. We are now have the capability to li uh, be live on Sunday mornings. Uh, through YouTube as well as Facebook. So check out our, our YouTube uh, page as well at the uh, Life Group podcast. podcast. Is that what it's called? I forget. Yep, Life, Group, Life Group podcast. Life Group podcast over at the YouTube page where we go live and you can see the uh, other uh, video archives as well. You can listen to us on uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and all other podcast platforms. We probably cover them all at this point. If you uh, have a certain podcast format you want to listen to on, we have an audio format as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. Make sure you check out all the other podcasts as well. The Audible, Dong City uh, is a baseball podcast. The Audible is a football podcast. The Step Back is a basketball podcast. The Work Shoot podcast, that's over at Wrestling Life. That's a pro wrestling podcast. And that's we're down. That's all our podcasts for tonight now. So with all that being said, 
Have a happy Sunday. Enjoy your, the NFL playoff games today. We are recording on Sunday. If you're listening to us on Monday, good morning. For good Sean. afternoon and good